Adam Miller, C. Lashbrook, uh, he has his own podcast called Pop Culture Fay, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a pretty big nerd. And so when I was looking to start a podcast, I couldn't really narrow it down <laughs> to one fandom. So I wanted to kind of, uh, just look at pop culture as a whole. So every week I pick a different topic, usually something that's kind of coming out soon and mm-hmm. talk about it or break it down in some kind of way, uh, specifically through an LGBTQ plus lens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I did listen to one episode. I listened to the one on She-Hulk. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was interesting. I didn't know that the character actually was rooted you know, back in the past, like the sixties started in the sixties or something. Right. I mean, I thought it was something that came up with just, uh, you know, for Hulu now, but. Oh no, she famously breaks the fourth wall. That's, that's kind of what she's known for. Right. Yeah. And I think the funniest thing about her creation is that they made her just so that they uh, would retain the copyright for her. Marvel comics was afraid that the show was going to make a female Hulk before they did in the comics when the um the old tv show was popular so they made her in the comics just to, to keep the copyright <laughs> uh, the, the one from the 70s with bill bixby and lou ferrigno yes yeah i think i also heard in that that you're a big fan of wandavision which oh man i'm so mad you're angry about wandavision <laughs> they canceled yeah, oh, I, I love WandaVision. I love, I, I've always loved Wanda as a character. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah. I just, uh, a witch that's all powerful and can manipulate reality. There's something about that. <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. I would and love it. It's, I was always a vision guy. Mm. Well, I don't want to be, and I'm not in a, trying to be an imposter here. I'm not a big like sci-fi <laughs> Marvel guy or anything, but Aaron turned me on to, uh, to WandaVision and I loved like the, uh, the retro episodes and stuff where they, mm-hmm. you know, revisited old TV shows. Yeah, it started much. in the fifties, then it jumped yeah. decades. It was really entertaining. It jumped up to Malcolm in the Middle and Modern Family. Yeah, they came right up to, <laughs> yeah, right up to mm-hmm. present day. I think yeah. that was still on the air. And then at the, in the last episode when her twins were aging themselves just so they could get stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, Pretty, we're similar, uh, Miller, and that, uh, we're very eclectic and we can't decide on what we want to be either. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we're interested in a lot of these pop culture hey. things. We've done episodes on true crime and conversations and we do that too. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely do that. That's probably the majority of what we do, but the, uh, format of this one is mm-hmm. going, to, going to be kind of like our rerun forensics episodes and the episode we did on Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. This is mm-hmm. going to be looking into the Star Wars canon and specifically Got to come Rogue up with one. a name for movie episodes. Yeah, yeah. we do. Mm-hmm. We'll leave that up to you because you come but, up yeah, with some so good. I, I've talked over the title, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, um should I do the intro? Yeah, or? go ahead. Go ahead and do the Okay. Uh hello listeners, welcome to Yeah Aha with Lisa and Phil. And our frequent flyer co-host, Aaron from California. Boy, his arms must be tired. Hi, Aaron. Howdy, howdy. This week we're talking to Miller Carlisle Lashbrook or Lochbrook, <laughs> as it would be pronounced in the old um uh, old country. He's the host of Pop Culture Fay podcast. Welcome, Miller. Hello. 
Good to have you. I do want to say, yes. if it doesn't seem like I'm making eye contact with you, um, it's because our monitors, the 55 inch TV, about six inches above the camera. So if I look at the camera, I make eye contact, but I don't know what's going on. <laughs> we're used to that with cameras, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're both looking like we're looking up at the sky because yeah, we're sitting in front of a big TV. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, as we were talking, um, you know, there's some similarities, uh, in our show and that we're, we're pretty eclectic and take on a lot of topics and are interested in various things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you said this was your favorite Star Wars movie, Rogue One. When um, we talk over. Yeah. Basically. I kind of go back and forth on it. Honestly, I've got a lot of nostalgia for episode three, Revenge of the Sith, because that's the first one I saw in theaters as a kid. I'm aging myself there. Uh, (laughs) The first one I saw was in 1976. 1977. 77. All three of us, 77. Yeah. Lunchboxes everywhere, you know, figurines. Yeah, my mom talks about, I think she said, it, that summer, she went and saw it like maybe 20, 30 times in the theaters. Her fr- her and her friends, they just went over and over to see yeah. the original. Okay. Um, from the start. <laughs> it was a phenomenon. I don't think that people t- today really have any idea of what a movie can, you know, it can really turn a whole culture on its ear that way. I mean, it really was mm-hmm. a phenomenon. It was completely out. different, completely amazing, just Life-changing. Well, they, they blew up a planet. Right, <laughs> right. But Return of the Sith, was your, uh, you said that was your intro, your yeah, first movie. Yeah, Reve- Revenge of the Sith. Um, so I I was introduced to Star Wars. Um, the first one I watched was actually uh, at home on, on VHS. I watched The Phantom Menace, which if you ask any Star Wars fan, they would probably tell you that's not the best first Star Wars movie to watch. Um, and... My stepmom at the time, uh, she had VHS tapes of the original trilogy. So I was like, I want, I got to watch all the other ones. And then soon after, uh, we watched Attack of the Clones when it went on VHS as well. And then I was ready when Revenge of the Sith went in theaters. So that one has like a special place in my heart. I can quote a lot of the lines from it, especially some of the more cheesy ones. Uh, but there's something about, rogue one that i just love i think it's so cinematic and Mm -hmm. it i think it's a star wars movie that kind of takes itself seriously in a way and is is a lot more mature and thematically than uh some of the more recent films have been it's a movie that when i when we watched it again um there's so much story packed into it that the action while excellent is not overshadowing the story in that one. And I think sometimes that does happen, even in Lucasfilm. Sorry, George. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's for, for a movie about characters that we only really get to see in this one movie. It's Mm -hmm. amazing how character driven it is when it could have easily just have been plot driven as a, as a film. Darth Vader. Not to spoil it, <laughs> but Darth Vader appears, and it's more of like a cameo. And I think it's almost yeah. just enough Vader to, you know, give it a seal of approval. You know, 
and you know it was integrated into the story it was you know it was part of the story and everything but i thought that that's one of the things that me is like someone from 1977 when i started seeing some of the latter day prequels and things i was like well there are a few of these that don't have you know lord vader in it which is such a mm-hmm. such a presence you know yeah yeah that hallway fight is like amazing like yeah <laughs> everything i'm sure that lucas wished he could have done special effects wise in the original trilogy with vader uh yeah it's awesome right yeah and i know that vader there were different actors that were thought about to portray vader but james earl jones is so iconic in that role his voice is associated with it, with it so much there was an actor there was an english actor Named uh, my notes. I think they have enough James Earl Jones voice in the can now that they don't really need him anymore. Probably not. Yeah, they can probably switch it around, edit. Has he appeared in any of the series yet, the character? Um, He does appear in Obi-Wan, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, which Hayden Christensen was involved with a lot of the physical work for that. But I think, as you're saying, Aaron, I believe for Obi-Wan Kenobi, they didn't actually have James Earl Jones record anything. Yeah, I think, I think they took Hayden Christensen's lines and they digitally combined James Earl Jones's voice with it to make the Vader voice, which is, that's just insane that they have that technology. Right. Make magic. Yeah. David Prowse was the name of that actor, the English actor. And there's things on YouTube where, you know, Scenes that had been done with Earl, James Earl Jones juxtaposed against ones that David Prowse did. And you can really see the... You can feel the difference. The difference. And action! Start tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you find those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive! Come on, not tear this ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers. I want them alive! I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic... You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. It's fun. It's, and it's a feel of the difference. It's a fun. Darth Vader, to me, is a feeling. Yeah. This is CNN. Well, he's so much part of the canon of the mm, franchise, no, right? That I mean, that Anakin Skywalker, Vader, mm-hmm. so much that, you know... We talk about the film that we're going to discuss today, uh, but we kind of got to preface it a little bit with the Star Wars canon and it's not assume everyone is familiar that this is a prequel. It's a standalone, yeah. but it's also a prequel to the third movie. Well, the first movie, the, the first fourth one episode. we ever saw. It's the fourth yeah. one, but yeah, the first. So where, where Star Wars begins is when they already have secured the plans for the death star and i mean that's that's what the rebels were planning you know they were trying to uh mm-hmm. take out the death star with that i mean that's that's what the, the whole storyline was behind right. the original film yeah not and, to spoil not to spoil a new hope for anyone but uh <laughs> but luke gets in an x-wing and uh yeah blows the shit out of the reactor on the on the death star because right. they, but he they found a weakness able- in some plans Right. The plans were planted by the uh the progenitor of the Death Star, the 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 creator, yep. who is the father of the main character in Rogue One. Yeah, it's I I think it's in terms of thinking about like 
from the Disney company's perspective, when they came in and had Lucasfilm and they're like, well, we got to make movies now the for them to just be like, hey, there's this storyline that kind of never got answered from the first movie. Why don't we just fill in the gaps there? Uh, and it made for a really good movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, All based I on think... one line in the opening crawl. Yeah. That's interesting about this movie, too, is it didn't have a crawl. But, yeah. um, but the crawl from episode four perfectly explains what's going on in, in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. That is and interesting. No... I remember my my boss came to work after seeing it. Well, and that's the first thing. Yeah, that's the first thing he said was that there was no scroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it definitely sets it apart. It's the first one without an opening crawl and no John Williams as the composer, too. Oh. Uh, so, like, right away when the music starts and the movie starts, you're like, okay, this is something a little bit different. Right. Are you unhappy about that? Oh, no, I love um, Michael Giacchino and his work as a composer in general. He did uh incredibles uh up uh he did the recent the batman movie he did all the mcu spider-man films as well um and i think in this movie he perfectly kind of he captures the john williams energy and the feel but makes it his own in a way uh the way he kind of works in the williams themes into the score so i i I nerd out about (laughs) all of this stuff yeah I like it. I like the Incredibles personally. The the music kind of fits with the like I want to say mid century modern kind of style that the whole thing has going with the pop century stuff. Mm-hmm. That yes. funky little jazz number. Kind of like the it's kind of like the Monsters Inc. music a little bit too. It's got that same swing. Mm-hmm. Now I found the scroll for Episode Four. If you want me to read those few sentences, it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, Rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, all capital letters, and the space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. And then there's an ellipsis. That's it. Very nice. That'll make a good TikTok, but I'll probably get taken down because I'll be using the um, commercial music. And I stumbled over it. So. Nettle's head looks a little <laughs> bit like Yoda. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cat on the thing behind me. Nice. Just the way the color <laughs> is. There's a little Yoda-y-ness to yeah, it. The ears. Become, yeah. We've seen Weird yeah. Al now, so now the cat is becoming the, uh, mm-hmm. the centerpiece of the, of the podcast now. Oh, please. She's <laughs> just sleeping there. She's cute. She just turned six months. We, well, I uh, edit the episodes and it's like, it's like, I can see this pattern. It's the yeah. cats. It's the cats. Uh-huh. It's the cats. It's always good. <laughs> but I want to show off my honeys. They're yeah, cute. I know. But, um, so I made an outline. We, as we sit there and meticulously watched the movie, I I took down notes. So I have an outline of the plot, but I don't know if that's very interesting to hear a scene by scene outline of the plot. <laughs> but um, Miller, you're you know you're probably I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you want to kind of give us a synopsis of the plot of Rogue One? Sure. Uh, so we start our film. Uh, probably about a decade before the main plot of the movie. And we find out that 
uh, Galen Urso, played by Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, from Hannibal. Um, <laughs> and he, we, we meet him and his wife and daughter on their home planet. And director Krennic comes down with his death troopers to, uh, basically, well, blackmail him into <laughs> joining the empire because he is an engineer who has created the plans for the death star, which we're seeing all throughout the prequel trilogy to, to lead us kind of this, to this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, Confrontation ensues, and Director Krennic takes Galen uh, with him. The mother is killed, and Jin is left to kind of survive on her own out in the world. We flash forward, and she is a prisoner. But luckily, the prisoner transport is broken into by the Rebel Alliance, and they take her uh, and some other prisoners for uh, their own use. We find out that she's been doing some rebelling of her own over the years and working with another rebel leader, Saw Guerrera, who first appeared in uh, the animated series, Star Wars The Clone Wars. And uh, basically, we kind of get our main plot set up that there are these, uh, there's been this pilot from the Empire who has defected and he claims to have the plans for the new super weapon. So they hobble together a group to head to Jeddah, where this pilot is being held by Saw Gerrera, and uh, things quickly go awry. Uh, on Jeddah, they collect some other friends to join their little hodgepodge group, um, and while they are um, captured by Saw Gerrera, uh, Jin sees the message from her father, about the Death Star plans and that he has put a failsafe in it because he didn't actually want to make a super weapon, but he had to to survive. And he has put a failsafe that if they shoot the reactor core, the whole system will blow up, just as we saw in uh, A New Hope. And Mm -hmm. just as that is happening, they test the Death Star for the first time, and they shoot off one reactor at Jeddah City, destroying the entire city, and they escape just in time. Uh, the rebels do, but Sagarera is killed in the uh, devastation. <laughs> Am I doing okay with this? Oh, doing great. Yeah, yeah. doing great. Yeah. Sagarera, played by Forrest Whitaker. Played by Forrest Whitaker, yes. So their next plan, they think, okay, well, we'll go get Galen from his laboratory on the planet Edu. So they head there, and uh, when they're when they get to the planet, they crash land. And they're kind of stuck there. But luckily, they were able to call some help from the Rebel Alliance. And uh, while there, there's some character struggles. There's a question of should they or shouldn't they keep Galen alive? There's a confrontation between Director Krennic and Galen on the shuttle platform where they need to get another shuttle from. Uh, great scene. Destruction happens. The Rebel Alliance arrives. People are killed. Galen is shot in the crossfire and they escape just in time with one of the shuttles off the planet. Uh, and they are left with only one option. They have to head to basically a giant library <laughs> that the Empire has, essentially a digital library of all of their plans uh, on the planet Scarif. But the Rebels don't want to have to <laughs> send a gi- an entire army there because they think 
it is a lose-lose situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they become rogues. They leave on their shuttle. They name it Rogue One. They head on the mission anyway. The battle scarf ensues. They get to the Citadel. They get the plans. They beam it up to the ship just in time before Vader arrives. All the while, the Death Star is uh, used once again to destroy the Citadel on Scarif, killing all of our main characters just mm-hmm. so that Leia can get her hands on the Death Star. Right. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Well done. Well done. Thank yep. you. <laughs> I can see the CGI, the mm-hmm. deep fake technology yeah, from here. Yeah, you did it a lot <laughs> yes. quicker than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine would have been like, oh, wait a minute. Half of our screen yeah. is a scroll of, of Philip's version of what you just did. Yeah. Well, I, um, I figured we'd get into the weeds afterwards. So that I kind of did the broad strokes. Yeah. yeah. I think the profiles of the characters brings you into the weeds. Probably so. Yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah, just a couple points though. I think that I think that the 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 whole cast of the thing it kind of gave me a feeling of like the Magnificent Seven or Dirty Dozen a little bit. There's seven a little bit samurai. of that. Yeah. Seven yeah. Samurai. Seven so, Samurai. They're all based on the Seven Samurai. Episode oh, really? four is too. Yeah. So it's the Dirty Dozen, and so it's yeah. this. They're all ragtag groups, right? <laughs> going out to do a, a funky mission. Yeah. Yeah. And they ragtag. feel like a good. They feel like a good D and D party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a campaign. I thought the acting was really engaging. You know, really good. I thought that you know from the opening scene, you know, Galen, um, mm-hmm. you could really uh, sense his trepidation, and he and he wanted to protect his family. And uh, you could tell, you could feel that he was stalling. Yeah, he was really. Yeah. He was. Really dreaded the, uh, the task and, and the way that he, the way that he ended up sabotaging the efforts of I think he knew that he was going to be taken back. Yeah. He, he couldn't escape the humidity either. Oh my gosh. Both those planets he was on, it was just water all over everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You'd hate that. As a Floridian, I know what that's like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We've been there. As a Californian, I don't. Well, Ohio's been like, I think this summer our, our average humidity was 80. Don't you feel like it's only 30 years after World War II when the okay. first Star Wars, I don't want to go back yeah. to the canon now and everything, but that's sort of, yeah, let's the whole series. It's yeah. def, def, definitely has World War II. Nazi vibe. The first one. Yeah. yeah. With the capes. They're even called they stormtroopers. I mean, stormtroopers. Yeah. The capes, they kind of represented those leather coats that the Nazi generals would wear. And, With a and, back flap. Yeah, yeah, like it's part, it's part World War II story, part Seven Samurai, and part, part um, Western. Part what? Well, West, even, yeah, cowboy movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even um, the final battle, Scarif, visually is very reminiscent of the Pacific Theater of World War II. Looks like a lot of the, the battles that happened in, on that side of, the, of World War II. Right. Yeah, because there's a point where they're walking on the beach and there's palm trees and. Right. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Good point. Let's take a minute mm-hmm. for our sponsor. Good call, Aaron. Should we start with Jin since she's the first real character that's that she's the main character? Oh, it's okay with me if it's okay with the. Yeah, go for it, ladies first. Get it over with. I mean, I'm really excited about doing this. <laughs> ladies first applies to both Jin and Lisa. So. Okay. There you go. There you are. We first meet 10-year-old Jin Erso as she runs for her life from the invading empire. 
Defying orders, she stops to see her mother killed and her father taken. She barely eludes the Empire troops hiding in a secret area in a cave. After the troops leave, she descends into a buried bunker from which she is retrieved by a friend and compatriot of her parents named Saw Guerrera, a revolutionary. Jin's story continues as we see a 20-something Jin being loaded into a prison shuttle. Boom! Crash! Zoop, zoop! And to her surprise, she is broken out by rebel forces who need her help contacting Saw Guerrera. She is accompanied to the moon Jedha by Cassian and Ketusu. As she and Cassian traverse the Holy City, she catches the eye of a guardian of the wills. He sees Jin and interacts with her as she walks by. Shortly thereafter, revolutionaries attack the Empire occupiers. Jin and Cassian are swept up in the confusion. The monk Chirut Mwe decides to aid them, dragging his friend and protector, the warrior Baze Malbus, along for the ride. The revolutionaries take them all to Saw Guerrera. Jin receives a message for the rebellion, and the rest of her compatriots are locked up. As much as I have told you, there is so much more. If you haven't watched Rogue One, you should. If you have, for no other reason than to see more of Jin's story. Very nice. You know, well Thank when you. you say, when you said Saw Guerrera, a revolutionary, it mm-hmm. instantly made me think Shea Guerrera, Shea Guevara. Probably. Mm. Shade, okay. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't made that connection until you said, comma, a revolutionary. Because my understanding from the movie, and I may have gotten this wrong, I mean, they're not against the rebels, but they consider themselves, my thought was they were revolutionaries as opposed to specifically rebels. Now, we all know exactly who Shea Guerrera is, but there mm-hmm. may be people in our audience who do not, Aaron. Who is Shea Guerrera? <laughs> Let me Wikipedia him so I don't get it wrong. But. <laughs> <laughs> he's, an, he's, a, he's a Marxist revolutionary in Argentina. He was the Minister of Industries of Cuba from 1961 to 65. And um, I don't know, in the 60s and 70s, he became kind of a counterculture symbol. And you just see an image of his face on posters and T-shirts all over the like Andy Warhol type images, you know, like like a red stripe on one side with a with yellow outline of his face, then a yellow with Color a red on the other and stuff. Sometimes I've seen it. I've seen just like a black on dark shirt too, that you barely know what it is until you. Uh, I do want to say this about Jen. Like my kitten Nettle, who is no longer on the back of the chair. Um, Jen is perseveres. If she's after something, she she gets it. She goes after it, and she does it. Just like my kid. You say persevere. I heard a you red. Wanted me to, you wanted me to put the cat in there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Guevara helped um, helped Fidel Castro overthrow Batista in Cuba. Okay, whether that was so a good development or not, who knows? You know, <laughs> but at the time, but he's he's definitely a revolutionary. Yes, saw. Um, I don't know. Did any of? I don't think any of us picked Saw as a character to kind of dive deep with. No, right? Somebody no. should have. So. Yeah. He um he actually premiered first in Star Wars: The Clone Wars, uh, the animated series. Uh, there was an episode where during the Clone Wars, Anakin and Obi Wan, along with their troop, uh, bata- their clone trooper battalion, they were basically training Saw, his sister, and their people of their town 
to defend themselves against the uh, Trade Federation Army. And so it's kind of like Saw Gerrera becomes this extremist because Anakin and Obi-Wan created him in a way. They gave them the tools to be revolutionary and to fight back against the establishment. Then, um, well, the <laughs> he he popped up next in Rogue One, but then they kind of filled in the gaps in the show Rebels as well, uh, explaining why he needs a device to breathe and why he was separated from the Rebels and all that. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into all that canon, too. You're welcome yeah. to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I've, I'll, for background, I haven't. I've seen a couple of Clone Wars episodes with my kids back in the day. I haven't seen Bad Batch or Rebels. Yeah, both good shows. I hear, I hear they're all good, but it's just a big time investment, you know, for all of them. Yes, <laughs> yes, that it is. Um, so in Rebels, there's an arc where the main characters interact with Saw Gerrera. At the time, he's working with the Rebel Alliance, and he essentially creates this plan where he wants to use the Geonosians who are like a bug race against the empire. And he essentially wants to fumigate the hive of the Geonosians to get them to come out and attack this uh, group of Imperials. And it would kill all of the Geonosians though. Uh, by the end of it so the rebels are like hey we don't think we don't want to have to kill all these people to hurt the empire but saw Guerrera thinks that it is worth it and um essentially the rebels try to stop saw from doing it the device that was going to release the the fumigation uh chemicals uh gets shot and blown up and the fire basically ignites the chemicals. So that's what ruins his lungs and also takes one of his legs and uh, damages him badly. And the rebels after that kind of basically say, Hey, we don't uh, want to work with you anymore. You're an extremist. He is like Che Guevara. Yeah. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Now, if you do it at Google, I wouldn't, ma- I wouldn't be surprised if you came across something that suggested maybe there is a connection there. There's a profile, you know, but the thing that confused me in the movie, I thought when Guerrera opened the uh, the lid and found Jen early in the film and kind of rescued her from the you know the uh, Im- imperial uh, forces. Well, yeah. And then the it's isolation. And then it went all the way up to the point where she was in the custody of uh, the empire. Yeah, that was that was a flashback it started with. I, yeah. I I didn't know whether or not Saul had been with her for the interim time or how they, how yeah. she got to that. She was she was she explains at some point that she was like raised by Saul after she after until she was sixteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and he like kicked so, her out on her own. Did he kick her out or she left? I forget which. Yeah. She was no, no. It wasn't that he kicked her out. She confronted him about the fact that he left her when she was sixteen and. He kind of said, well, you know, things happened and you did okay. You're still alive. But I think that so was probably it. something to do with when he got seriously hurt. Yeah, he probably left her behind to protect her. Yeah. And I, I did read that. Uh, no man is an island. Um, no, well, no, that's not. Oh, uh, uh, the good of the many. I did read. I won't, I won't reveal what happens with Jen, but mm-hmm. I'll just say that speculation oh. on what happens with Jen, uh, is, 
rampant. Well, said the- Spoiler alert: Everybody dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. The, okay. So writer said <laughs> that she, she and Cassian did not die. That they did not die. Speculation that yeah. they didn't get blown up. Right. I mean, they were near the city, but they were on the beach. It glowed pretty bright there at the end. I'm, there were no survivors. So yeah. Well. Okay. Well. Well done, Lise. Mm-hmm. Very well done. Thank you. Let's see. Uh, Miller's going to have more than one, so let's go, let him go ahead and do his first. Well, he just he just went actually, so let's give him a <laughs> minute to get his breath. Right? I, you want me to go, or you want to go? I'll, I'll go. Let me go ahead, Aaron. I just covered my notes with something, and so uh, I inadvertently, I'll... I suppose, uh, did a bio for soccer. <laughs> oh, that's good. We, no, we that's great. He was he was a glaring omission. Great. You're riffing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had to do research and write mine. You just so, um, mine's mine's on Donnie Yen, who plays Chirut Inwe. Um, mm-hmm. First on the character, Chirut was born blind. Um, he is one with the Force, and the Force is with him. He guards the Jedi Temple as one of the guardians of the Wills, an order of spiritual warrior monks, and. His character is in obvious allusion to Zatoichi, the blind swordsman in a lot of Japanese films and TV shows set in the 1830s and 40s Japan. Um, now the actor, Donnie Yen, was born in, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, probably Guangzhou, China, and he moved to Boston at age 11. His mother was a kung fu master, and his father was a newspaper editor, and the uh, amateur um, musician and Donnie himself is a proficient pianist as well as an expert in several martial arts, Japanese karate Korean taekwondo western boxing and he was also uh, an avid breakdancer as a teen Um, he became a serious practitioner of wushu and his parents sent him to Beijing for training and on his way back after this training in Hong Kong, he met um, martial arts film director Yuan Wu Ping, who uh, cast him as the lead in Drunken Tai Chi and immediately established him as a viable leading man. Um, his second film was a romantic comedy, Mismatched Couples, in which he got to show off his breakdancing moves. See, Jet Li and Jackie Chan both praised Yen as being possibly the best fighter in terms of practical combat in Asian cinema. He's starred in many Hong Kong TV series. His most notable films to us in the West would include um, the Ip Man series. Ip Man was um, Bruce Lee's mentor. He was a Wing Chun master, and it's uh, fictional movies You know, with him as the lead character. Um, he's in the upcoming John Wick Chapter 4. He's in Blade 2, Highlander Endgame. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny, the live-action version of Mulan, and uh, Shanghai Nights. That uh, one, two Disneys in a row there. Triple um, X, Return of Xander Cage. I go from Xander Cage to Tiger Cage and Tiger Cage 2. And the last three I include, uh, they're early ones, but I just think the titles are funny. Cheetah on Fire, Holy Virgin versus the Evil Dead, and Asian Cop, High Voltage. But um, that's uh, that's it for my Donnie Yen. All right. Now I'm assuming those are American translations on the titles. Yeah, they usually 
have a title for every language that it's going to be released in yet. I like the way they kind of introduced him. They were in the crowded uh, square, and he said something to Jen that just, you know, it was like just him and her. You know, I forget what it was said exactly, but he had to walk over, or she walked over to him to have him clarify. And then he reappeared later in that scene uh, to, to save her, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the force directed him to Jim. It made him notice her particularly. Yeah. Ultimately, he sacrificed himself to help blow up the Death Star or help get those plans, help to help turn on the transmitter so they could get the plans to the to the ship, to the Admiral. To <laughs> Yeah, he he sacrificed himself and then his friend finished the job. Yeah, I th- he's such an interesting character because before this movie, really the only people that we saw have like a physical connection to the Force in Star Wars were the Jedi or the Sith. And so to have this character who like clearly is using well, the Force in a way or in pre, tune with pre, it. Pre-Jedi Anakin. Yeah, um, it, he's such like, an interesting, interesting character in that way. And, uh, the, the title of, uh, what he's a part of actually comes from the original name of Star Wars, um, the original script that Lucas wrote. So it was supposed to be, um, titled like Star Wars, a story from the journal of the wills. And the wills uh, were going to be these narrator type characters who were telling the story of Star Wars as it happened. They finally, finally got the name and they finally yeah. got Wills in the movie. And the, the Guardians of the Wills were actually protectors of the crystal, the Kara something crystal. The Kyber crystal? Uh, the Kyber, Kyber crystals. Crystal. Yeah. You. The Kyber crystals that uh, were the crystals that were being used to power the Death Star. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Aaron, you were correct that Miller had two assignments, but... <laughs> um, one of them was not Saw Gerrera. No, so he, actually, so he, he can go again. He's had a breather. Really put you to work here. You have. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to make him go back to back. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Good call. Do you have the time, Miller? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have. Um, do you want me to do Cassie and Andor next? Why don't you do Cassie and last? Because that kind of leads into something we want to talk about, as far as yeah, something. Okay, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, so the the first character I'll talk about is uh, K2SO. In terms of his character, we don't know too much about him, um, other than that he seems to be essentially Cassian's kind of right-hand droid. He's a reprogrammed Imperial security droid who has a pension for uh, sarcasm and uh, quippy remarks, especially uh, at Jin. Uh, specifically and he's sort of kind of I guess our new era Chewbacca in a way if we're seeing Cassian as our new Han Solo here in this movie uh, he, so K2S is voiced by Alan Tudyk uh, Alan Tudyk's an American actor he was born in El Paso Texas grew up in Texas and uh, he really started his acting career in the early 2000s. I would have guessed he was British. <laughs> yeah, he has such an interesting cadence to his voice yeah. that he does kind of at times sound uh, he British. He sounds like but... one of those British trying to be American voices, <laughs> you know? I guess it's, it's the other way around in this case. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, he, yeah, he started his, really, he kind of came onto the scene in his acting career in the movie A Knight's Tale, where he cared, played the character Watt. But really, Firefly was the first thing that caught a lot of people's attention with him as an actor. He played uh, Wash, who is the pilot of Serenity on uh, Firefly. Great show if you've never seen it, listeners. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, he also voiced um, another robot in the movie iRobot. He voices Sonny, the main uh, robot character in that film. But really his career kind of, um, he, he did a lot of TV work in the mid-2000s. He was on the show uh, Dollhouse. He was on the show um, Suburbia. But in the early 2010s, he started doing a lot more voice work and animation. And that's when his career kind of saw a new life. He voiced King Candy in Wreck-It Ralph for Disney. He played the Duke of Wesselton in Frozen. And in Zootopia, he was Duke Weaselton, a callback to his character in Frozen. And uh, then he went on to voice K2SO. After Rogue One, he voiced Hey Hey and Moana, the chicken. <laughs> so he did all the clucking uh, for for the chicken. Uh, and he did Iago for the live-action Aladdin, as well as some voices in Frozen 2 and some more recent um, animated projects for Disney. So he's he's really go, going uh, whole hog on the animated voices here. He's the voice of Danger Boat on the Amazon version of The Tick. Oh, Hmm. And um, he's also in Arrested Development. He's uh, um, and and Beale's father. He's Pastor Veal. Yeah, he's one of those um, actors that I'm that are, like everybody's probably seen him in at least yeah. something. He's, he's a uh, bad because guy. he just does so much work. Yeah, yeah. he's a classic um, bad guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought um, K2S... he may be the premier that guy now that Rucker Hauer has passed, or not Rucker Hauer. Uh, you know who I'm thinking of, the blonde guy. He was in the rock movie. A lot movie. of that guys. Yeah. Rutger Howard did pass. Yeah. Right, but that's not who I was thinking of. Um, he's blonde. He was in the uh, Radio Rebel thing, set off the coast of England. They were doing rock and roll. Yeah, he's for okay. me for loop there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, what? But I, th- I was thinking K2SO mm-hmm. kind of makes up for Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit better. <laughs> A little mm-hmm. bit better, Jar Jar Binks. I remember Jar Jar Binks took a, some serious heat. Um, yeah, it wasn't his fault. Yeah, wow. for what he was written that way. Yeah, I think yeah. the uh, K2SO is definitely a lot better a comic relief character. And I think having the comedy be sarcasm based in a movie that's so serious like this uh, fits tonally with the movie. Did you know that wasn't me? There are a lot of explosions for two people blending in. You're right. I should just wait on the ship. I am taking them to imprison them in prison. He is taking us to... Quiet! Cassian, I'm sorry about the slap. Go back to the ship. Although there's a problem on the horizon. There's no horizon. Who would teach a droid sarcasm, or program sarcasm into a droid? (laughs) <laughs> I guess that's somebody that would like teach teach a parrot dirty words too. <laughs> I guess I. You have to wonder if you didn't learn the sarcasm. They are learning AIs. I guess so. 
Well, it's I mean, almost, yeah. I mean, it's all, he almost, the way he plays it, um, kind of plays it as like someone who doesn't have social cues, like someone on the autism spectrum with Asperger's. Right. Um, my, my younger sibling, uh, it, is on the autism spectrum and can definitely be that way sometimes where, uh, <laughs> they, they just, it kind of ignore all the social cues and say something without thinking about it. And they're, and it's just like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing, uh, saying something I shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I guess K2SO is unfiltered. <laughs> I'd like to mention something else on his resume, Alan Tudyk, um, resident alien. If you haven't watched it, it's really good. He plays an alien that comes to earth to blow it up, he loses the bomb and he has to pretend to be a human um, while looking for the bomb. And um, so he, he takes over a, uh, he basically kills someone and takes over their body and starts interacting with the town in, uh, it, it's really good. And I think there's two seasons now, so. Hmm, sweet. Resident Alien. Yeah. Yeah, the, the last thing from his resume I was going to recommend um was Tucker and Dale versus Evil. He essentially oh, plays so a, a a dumb kind of hillbilly type guy, him and his friend are, who basically just stumble through uh stopping these zombies and it like kind of playing off the evil dead idea. Uh mm-hmm. and they dumb their way through the horror movie and survive at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you don't see his face in Star Wars, but he's got a face that uh, he can make funny expressions. I mean, he's like, yeah. he's not like an ugly dude or anything, but he, no. but you know, he could be a leading man probably in some, mm. but he, he's able to, you know, to mm. do is to use yeah. facial expressions for, for humor. Yeah. yeah. Funny guy. Mm-hmm. He's in um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency too, which I love that. I hope they do have another season on that. Although it doesn't look they, good. They didn't. Hmm? They didn't. Yeah. I think if people Google, they still could. If I they, have hope in my heart. If they Google K two S O, I think a lot of people will recognize him. From yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, recognize the robot. Yeah. yeah. Recognize the robot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Miller. So, uh, oh, been in a lot of Disney movies, voice wise. Yeah, a lot. I guess I'll go ahead and do the Imperial Bad Guy, director Orson Krennic. Um, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Um, in, in the franchise, he's the developer of advanced weapons research for the Imperial Military Department. So he kind of throws a little like Joseph Goebbels, uh, vibe, although he's, he's not really a scientist or whatever, but he's uh, more of a military, um, man. But, um, uh, he'd come to the he's, Galactic Republic Futures Program. You're right. He's in yeah. charge of the project for the planet killer weapon. It was his plan, but once he realized what it was and what was going to happen, he kind of he went home and became a farmer to hide away from uh, them. Not Galen Erso. You're thinking of Galen, yeah. Oh, Galen. No, I'm talking is, about this is the villain. Director. Oh, Krennic, right. Yeah. Krennic. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Um, but he'd come up with, uh, Galen through the G- Galactic Republic Futures Program. So they were friends. They were, you know, they went through training they together. together. They had a relationship that soured as, you know, Krennic became more evil and, uh, Galen developed more of a ma- maturity and consciousness. Yeah. 
you know, Ursa was doing brilliant uh, work with crystals and tried to take advantage of that or did take advantage of that to harness the research and apply it to weaponry. Was it Krennic that killed Lyra? Was it a shot from his gun that killed Lyra? Nobody ordered it. I guess it doesn't matter really yeah, at that level, it? does it? Yeah, I don't think he had a gun himself. Probably. Yeah, it w- he ordered her to be to be shot. Lyra shot him as she was dying. Right, right in the shoulder or something. Yeah, but right there, you know, he's got no redeeming no redeeming qualities after you've shot the mother of the heroine of the movie. No. Unbeknownst to Krennic, Galen built vulnerabilities. We knew this from uh, Miller's description. Into the Death Star that could be exploited. He had a rivalry with Governor Tarkin. Played by Peter yeah. Cushing. It was the first of two CGI appearances in the movie. It was very well done. Um, Cushing, or Governor Tarkin, took credit for the, you know, for Krennic's work, which to his great dismay and drove him to distraction. Eventually, Krennic went to Darth Vader to plead his case and tried to get credit for his work, and Vader. Uh, basically rebuffed him and almost choked him out right there on the, you know, on the. Oh, uh, uh, Darth Vader style. Right, right. You know, <laughs> um, don't choke on your ambition, he told him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but he's kind of, re- you know, the, he's kind of the representative of the banality of evil. Um, I read that. That's not my own quote, but he's kind of evil by association with the Empire. Really, he's just an ambitious climber, really, Krennic. Mm-hmm. With no moral conscience. Doesn't care who he kills, yeah. Right, he's he's got his eyes on the prize. Amoral, ambitious climber. Right. Um, he was present with Tarkin when they ordered the strike on Jedha. I think that Tarkin said something like, it's beautiful as they saw the explosions over the, city, the holy city of Jedha. Mm-hmm. Which Parent- was the first city that they tested the, the Death Star on. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. Likely would have uh, killed Jen and Cassian at the apex of the movie if it had not been interrupted by the, the strike of his own forces. So they survived for a few more minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he fully intended to kill them at that moment. Yeah. Um, in a Entertainment Weekly interview, again, someone implied that we could see Krennic again. That perhaps he survived the attack on... Uh, the, uh, the Scarif. space port, the yeah. shuttle port. But probably not, mm-hmm. based on the glowing orb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they hit it. They hit the city. But it was a few minutes after that situation. So if their shuttle escaped, Krennic might have escaped as well. Yeah, when the when the Death Star fires on Scarif, it hits the top of the building and knocks out like the entire top part of it that he was on so I feel like he probably did not survive that yeah okay because I was thinking it was um, you know yeah well one quote it's like half the planet that he took out there (laughs) so one quote from the movie from the character uh, from the opening the planet before the opening sequence when he said they had a child speaking of Jen. Mm-hmm. And he said, find it. Mm-hmm. Not him or her. And so he didn't know whether it was a lawyer. He didn't I care. It was, the idea was, well, find it. You know, uh, yeah. he, he was, you know, no humanity. Mm-hmm. Scorched earth. You know. mm-hmm. So just a few more, few things about uh, the man, the actor, 
He's Australian, born in Melbourne. Um, growing up, he felt that young men had to protect a toughness with, with action and words, where, whereas Americans always had the specter of weapons serving that purpose. He feels like in ways that helped him develop as an actor. And he has a lot of like tough guy roles and a lot of bad guy roles. And he feels like mm-hmm. that was sort of forged in his childhood. So, uh, lived at times in Germany and Eastern European countries, a student of linguistics, uh, could speak many languages, was a friend of Nicole Kidman growing up as an act. You know, they grew up working a lot of the same acting, uh, troops and, mm-hmm. and, you know, different jobs. Um, and they both served under an act, a, tra- a teacher named Tom Jones, not the singer, but, uh, <laughs> or the, a different Tom Jones, right? An Australian version, <laughs> right? I heard a story today about Elvira with Tom Jones mm-hmm. that I'll tell you later. I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> it does not cast him in a very good light, but anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. Aw. He was expelled from school for for arson at the age of thirteen and dropped Probably out to pursue time. acting. Um, De Niro was an inspiration, especially Taxi Driver. Always a fan, all, also a fan of Clint Eastwood and John Wayne. Um, appeared with his idol Michael Caine in Batman: The Dark Knight Rises. He appeared as Talos in Cop- Captain Marvel, another villain. Um, my favorite role of his was in Bloodline. I don't know if you've seen Bloodline. It's with um, uh, Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights and Linda Cardellini. And uh Mendelssohn plays the black sheep of the family, ironically named Danny. Um Are you referring to my brother? While he is a great <laughs> villain, he seems in danger of being typecast. Uh you know, he's also a villain in Nolan Sorrento and as Nolan Sorrento in Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. So that kind of offset that he uh, took roles in the HBO series, The Outsider, which I just started watching the other day, where he plays a skeptical police officer or investigator in the Stephen King story. Uh, his favorite role is one as Henry and Baby Teeth, an Australian coming of age film about a family with a young child with cancer or teenage daughter, actually, with cancer. Um, he would jump at the chance to play James Bond. I think he would be a better Bond than some of the other names I hear tossed out there. You know, he's, he wouldn't necessarily be the happy-go-lucky, funny Bond necessarily, but I think <laughs> I'd like him better than Daniel Craig, I think. But um, In I'll, case you're wondering how he feels. I'll finish it with two quotes. He's um, he's Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, the BBC series, I think. Right? So, is that a I can movie? See. We haven't seen that. I guess this was a movie, 2018. The one with Kevin Costner? No. I'm not allowed to watch that. (laughs) We're not allowed to watch. Kevin Costner does not appear in this house. He's been a villain in Marvel. He's been a villain in Star Wars. Is the DC role in the Batman movie villain or hero or neutral? Villain, I believe. Yeah, I believe he's kind of like a... He's been a a villain in all three of those man Awesome. Yeah. Talos and Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel. Yeah, that's Marvel, definitely but the, Bat, the Batman one. I, I know he's a villain in that, but I, I didn't I didn't remember his role in the Batman. Talos is interesting because he starts the movie as a villain. Uh, and then midway through Captain Marvel, you realize that they, the Skrulls are refugees 
and that they are actually not the villainous mm -hmm. uh, ones. And he becomes friends with Nick Fury. Uh, so, and he's set to be in Secret Invasion, the show coming next year. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's a show, not a movie? Yeah, it's going to yeah, be one of the serious. Disney Plus shows. Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and close my uh, thing out here with two quotes. Um, one, he said in an interview, I'm always suspicious of people wanting to make films for personal reasons, because at the end of the day, it's all about the audience. And finally, I like to listen to any podcasts that allow me to learn something. So he's a friend of ours, he says. I felt <laughs> I left school when I was young, so I'm enjoying learning new stuff now. And uh, Jen Urso was played by Felicity Jones, a British actress. So I didn't do much about Felicity Jones. Sorry, Felicity. That's okay. Was, was she, um, I might have this wrong, but was she, uh, Tomb Raider after Angelina Jolie? Might be. That was Alicia Vikander. Okay. Uh, yeah. Somebody right. she's, she's our Mavet. She's our Mavet. That's what I was. Uh, I, I was watching that like two days before I watched Rogue <laughs> One. I feel like that used 10 minutes. So I, I went over. So Miller, right. why don't we go yeah. with, uh, well, I went under. So we'll, uh, We'll, we'll close out our bios with a character that's set to uh, have a future. Inflame the hearts of young ladies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the so I I'll give us our character bio for Cassie and Andor. Um, he is, I guess, he would be kind of our deuterogonist of the of the movie, our secondary character. Uh, we meet him. In the Ring of Kryn, I believe is uh, what the space station is called. It's like a, a night market. And he is a rebel spy trying to get intel for the Rebel Alliance. And right away, we learn a lot tonally about the movie and also a lot about him as a character. Because he gets information from an informant and kills his informant so that he can get away in time. So we learn that Cassian is not opposed to getting his hands dirty uh, as his uh, as doing his job as a rebel spy. Uh, Cassian is kind of pretty high up in the alliance in terms of being a rebel spy. It seems like he has a direct line of communication with Mon Mothma, the, the leader of the rebel alliance. And he also serves as Jin's love interest in the film. Their romance kind of takes a backseat in the movie, but they do share kind of a romantic moment at the end of the film as they uh, pass away <laughs> or get killed by the by the bombing or by the Death Star. Uh, yeah. Possibly survive, but probably not. or possibly survive. Yeah, yeah. They did his main survive. conflict in the film is really with Jin and whether or not he is going to eliminate Galen Erso, uh, as the rebels have asked him to do, or he is going to keep him alive since he's the father of this new they, friend. Did they ask him or order him? Well, they, yeah, they ordered him. <laughs> and ultimately... Hey, uh, if it's not too much trouble, uh, while you're there... <laughs> Well, ultimately, he doesn't even have to choose, right? Because right. he yeah. gets uh, killed in the in the, the crossfires of the of the battle. Um, right. And so, uh, Cassian Andor is played by Diego Luna, 
Diego Luna is an actor from Mexico City, Mexico. Uh, he was born to a Mexican father and British mother. His mother died when he was two years old. And his father was really his main inspiration for going into the entertainment industry and becoming an actor. His father is actually a very well-known set designer for um, movies, opera, and theater in Mexico City. So that kind of inspired him to go into entertainment. Diego Luna acted primarily in uh, Mexican film and television until around... um, the late 2000s, early 2010s. The first kind of big thing that he did in the United States that got him attention is he was the the man in Katy Perry's The One That Got Away music video. He was the, the one that got away in that music video. And he um, would later go on to do a voice for the animated movie The Book of Life. But really, Rogue One was kind of his big uh, hit here in the United States that got his name um, on, in our um, TV and movie industry. And he was kind of a fan favorite character and actor in Star Wars right away, especially amongst um, the um, Latin American audience of Star Wars, specifically Mexican American audiences. They really enjoyed seeing a protagonist in a Star Wars movie played by a Mexican American or Mexican actor and seeing themselves represented that way. And fans have kind of been asking for stuff with him ever since, even though he seemingly dies at the end of this movie. And luckily we are getting that. We're getting Andor on Disney plus this week, this Wednesday with a three cool. episode premiere. Nice. 12 episodes overall. And uh, the showrunner is the main writer from Rogue One. And uh, the it looks like the show is really going to fill in the gaps of what Cassian did leading up to the events of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. How he became a rebel, I guess. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I'm kind of inspired. Uh, I'm want. I want to watch a few more of these now. I have, you know, I know Obi Wan Kenobi's out there, right? And uh, yep, of course, the Mandalorian. Pretty good. I think we watched mm-hmm. a couple of Mandalorians, right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, without me. Uh, it's just a. It's a western, man. It's just totally a western. Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm. Uh, it, it rekindled yeah. my interest a little. Oh, um, if you like, if you like Mandalorian, um, the Book of Boba Fett is basically season two point two and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the uh, I would say if you like, uh, if you in, you want to watch Andor and you enjoyed Rogue One, I think Obi Wan Kenobi would be a good one to watch because it's set in the same time period between episodes three and four, mm-hmm. and so you get kind of a feel for that time period in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and it's um. Basically, he's he's with uh, young Leia, right? Getting her to Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Well, Miller, I think you've been an excellent authority on this. I mean, you brought a lot of uh, background yeah. and information that uh, that contributed to this podcast. I really appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you very much. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I will uh, admit to being more of a Trekkie. Sorry, <laughs> I'm still a fan, but you know. Yeah, I grew, uh, Star Wars was um, 
I've I've always loved it since I first was introduced to, to it as a kid. Uh, Star Trek, I got into it in, in high school for the first time, but uh, that's still been a slow a slow burn one for me. I've seen all of the original series and Next Generation. Um, I haven't really gotten further than that, but uh, you seen, can like both. <laughs> I've seen parts of the original series yeah. unavoidably throughout my young life when I was a kid. <laughs> but um, yeah, my a lot of my friends... Rabid. Yeah, our, a friend, a, a mutual friend of mine, Bill's um, in our fantasy baseball league. Bill, he, it used to be a game for him. He, you know, as soon as he could blurt out the episode name, you know, it'd be like seven seconds in. He, trouble, trouble, wow. or whatever it is. <laughs> there's never take a little longer. Quality, right? I mean, it's either Star Wars or Star Trek. There's ne- they're never even. It's like one or. I think it's as polarizing as, say, Miracle Whip and Mayonnaise. But I think I'm more of a Star Wars guy. <laughs> yeah. Because I love the first Star Wars Because the robes hide a lot of sins. <laughs> I mean, you know, Star Trek has those jumpsuits. <laughs> like, <laughs> that ain't happening. Um, and I figure I could probably get away with cosplaying Princess Leia pretty easily. Oh, yeah. You could do that. Um, I think this is my third favorite like- of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> I I'd, I think Empire is my favorite, and then um, then A New Hope, and then uh, and then this one. one, yeah. Mm. Right. Although I'd I'd say you should watch A New Hope before watching this one. Yeah, Miller, um, you want to go ahead and promote your podcast as we uh, close out the, the episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if, if listeners want to hear more of my my voice and hear me ramble on about nerdy stuff, um, they can find. Uh, my podcast, Pop Culture Fay, wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, the, you can find my, me on social media on Twitter is where I do the most kind of social media. Uh, F-A-E? Yes. F-A-E. I should have said that. Yes. <laughs> F-A-E, uh, the plural for fairy. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Mill C. Lashbrook and, uh, if you want to learn more about the podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash popculturefay. Thank you for having me on, y'all. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Now, is there, is there anything we didn't ask you about that you feel like we should have? In regards to Star Wars? Yep. Um, I mean, I, I will just plug that the animated shows of Star Wars are fantastic. I think there's a lot of Star Wars fans who are always kind of apprehensive to dive into the animated stuff because it is a lot to watch. Uh, my favorite Star Wars character, there's actually a artwork of her behind my head. You just can't really see her because of the reflection. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's Ahsoka Tano from uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. She has and, a series uh, coming up. Yeah, she is getting a show coming up played by yeah. and she's Rosario played by Dawson. Rosario Dawson, who's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Rosario Dawson, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love yeah. clerks. Yeah. Yeah. She's, in Chance. A, she's in the book of Boba Fett. That's where you first meet her, I believe. Uh, Mando season two. Oh, she's in Mando. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the episode, even the Jedi sooner. is just the title. Yeah, they the they all ran together, man. I don't even know. Yeah, anymore, you know. But um, yeah, um, anytime I can plug the animated stuff for Star Wars, I will because it's so good. But uh, but yeah, I, thank you for having me on, y'all. I enjoy always talking about. Star Wars and and nerdy stuff and us yeah. too. We got three nerds I'm, right here. Well, <laughs> I I think we should mention too. Uh, I think my favorite part or the most 
I don't know, the most fun nostalgic part for me seeing it in the theater um, was when uh, they all got in the X wings and it was like gold leader standing by. <laughs> that's when the, that's when the, the that's when the auditorium erupted is when well, Wed, those, wedge and they, all those guys were back. They actually use for the red leader and gold leader. It's archive footage from a new hope. So those are the original actors and everything. They just reuse the footage uh, which is such a cool like oh. detail behind the scenes. Yeah, well, it's kind of like there's a there's a couple of characters that are com- they're almost completely CGI. CGI, yeah, like yeah. Leia oh, at the Leia. end. Yeah, <laughs> the only word she says is hope, which they clearly hope. took from "Help us only Obi Wan Kenobi, our only hope." Right. Mm-hmm. Mind blowing. Yep. But um, yeah, that that was cool. But I I it might be the coloring of my TV. I think the second time I watched it. I, you know, not in the theater. The um, what's the name? Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Is, that the, is that the CGI? Oh, Palpatine uh, is the Emperor. Tarkin. Tarkin. No, Tarkin. Yeah, Tarkin he, and he Leia are. He looked more. He looked more fake to me the second time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be because I I saw it in high def and I'm watching it. The coloring on my TV is really off. <laughs> right. yes. Thanks, Miller. It's nice to meet you. Yes, it was nice meeting y'all. Thank pop, you for having me on. Pop Culture Fay. Thanks for yes. coming on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Phil. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Good Thank to you, see you guys. everybody. Good night. All right. Good, Good night. night. We have social. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Hey.